So hello everyone, my name is Annabelle Berry and you're listening to the latest episode of Security and Two Sugars. Hopefully a few of you will know the drill by now, but for those of you who are listening for the first time, uh, this podcast is set in and around the security sofa where I get a chance to sit down with some industry rock stars from the InfoSec or cybersecurity industry to hear a little bit about their stories, to have a chinwag about their career how they got into the industry in the first place, and to find out a bit more about their story, really, and how they ended up in the roles perhaps they're doing now, and a chance to find out some nuggets and some advice that they've learned along the way, hopefully. So I am beyond thrilled to welcome my guest onto the sofa this week. Um, And my guest is Sarah Armstrong-Smith, who is Chief Security Advisor at Microsoft. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Annabelle. Great to be here. And oh, I'm so happy that you that you uh, are able to come on the podcast. So thanks ever so much for agreeing to come on, um, Sarah. It's I'm very aware that the last time we met was the first time we met actually in person, um, yeah. which was um, just before lockdown mm. um, in a restaurant back in the heady days where you could just you know, <laughs> wander into a restaurant and have lunch. Which oh, was luxury. Nice. Yeah, um, and that was the last time I was in London, I think. Mm, me I, too. Definitely the last time I was in a restaurant. So it's <laughs> yeah. like a really long time ago now. So, um, and so we'll get started in a second. So my question that I asked my guests, obviously settling onto the sofa, is a bit of a beverage check-in. So anyone who's obviously seen the logo to the podcast will see that it's a mug, and obviously the security and two sugars. Uh, name kind of is set around uh, uh, the sofa and a really relaxed chat and a beverage to accompany us. So what is your beverage of choice that's going to accompany during the podcast recording today? Oh, it's got to be a brew. Love a brew. You're a tea girl. (laughs) Tea girl through and through. I was brought up on tea by my mum. She used to drink it by the pot load. (laughs) Now, tea in a pot, that's the way it's supposed to be done, isn't it? Yeah, exactly that. No sugar, though. Just tea. Just tea. Really strong. And do you have a mug of choice that your favorite mug that you're using? No, not really. Um, no, I just just um, I'm just happy to have a mug of tea on the go all the time. <laughs> so have you got a constant supply during the day? Yeah, I, I basically live off tea. I can't function without my cup of tea in the morning. My other half will say just how grumpy I am until I've had my tea. No, that's fair enough. I think that's quite reasonable. To be honest. So, yeah, so very reasonable. And do you make your tea in a pot? That's the big question. Well, I should do, given how much I drink. Uh, but it's normally just by the cupful. Is it bag in? Yeah. Bag in. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let it brew. I haven't had tea in a pot for a really long time. I do remember making pots and pots of tea back in the days when I was a brownie. I think I was only a brownie <laughs> for about six months. And... Um, you the first badge I think I got was a tea making badge um which seems really random now that you get a badge for <laughs> making cups of tea but I think you had to make 20 cups of tea or something and then you got a badge to say that you could make tea um so yeah but um that was all about learning how to make it properly in a pot and warming the pot oh, I must, I must say um talking about making tea properly I put the milk in first I'm one of them people well, you're in good company because Catherine Cardoz is also a milk-in first uh, lady. She says, I know how much milk I like. Exactly. And that's it. So Exactly that. It's logic. 
Hey, well, I'm, um, there's a there's a there's a connection there with some of my other guests. So it's brilliant. <laughs> good stuff. Okay, so you've got the tea. I have got. Um, it is absolutely roasting today. Um, I seem to be able to book these podcast recordings in on the most. <laughs> Uh, kind of high the high temperature days in the year seem to be uh, seem to coincide with these recordings so today I am a bit like a famous five novel and I've got um lashings and lashings of ginger beer um, to, to accompany me to cool me down today so I'm not drinking a hot drink today so right okay so we've set the scene so let's um settle in for a chat then so obviously um Sarah you're in this amazing um, job now and I'm really excited to hear um, obviously later on about your role at Microsoft because I know it's um, one that you've just uh, not long started in the last couple of months but with regards to your career um, where does your story start is, is it at school or is it later on than that you know where, where, where's a good place for us to get started do you think uh, um, probably school um, if I'm honest I didn't really know what I wanted to do uh, when I grew up <laughs> I think as uh, most people at school, you get a career advisor. And I think my options really at that time was business management, which is really exciting. Um, <laughs> so I was a bit lost. If I, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I, I really loved art. That was one of my favourite subjects of all time at school. I just had this awesome teacher. And he would just really encourage me to use my imagination, you know, think big. Um, and, and it was just it was just great. So I thought, well, actually, why not use my art? So I thought maybe about being a graphic designer at one point. So when I come to um, do my A-levels, uh, I did an art foundation. And then I thought, well, I best add some subjects on the side. Um, so I chose psychology and sociology um and, I, and that was all good so but apart from my um art teacher at the art school was the complete opposite <laughs> um so he was just yeah so he was just kind of like paint what you see draw lines more lines more lines I absolutely hated it if I'm honest it really turned yeah. me off so um yeah so I'd gone from this subject I absolutely love to a subject I really didn't have any love for um, and I actually dropped my art foundation after the first year and just carried on doing my A-levels. Um, and I didn't go to university. It was at that sort of point I decided to go into the work life. Mm. So let's talk about your art for a minute, because this is actually it's been a really common theme across some of the people I've interviewed so far. And I, I think I mentioned this on the podcast um, with Eliza, actually, because um she had a complete love of art as well. <laughs> she took school, that was her, you know, favourite subject that she kind of excelled in and things like that. So what kind of art was it that you um, that you enjoyed doing? Was it was it drawing or painting? It was uh, big canvas pictures. The bigger the canvas, the better. Um, I probably say I used to do quite abstract stuff. So that was um, that was the whole point of using my imagination, really, is just to kind of go really wild. Um, when I wasn't doing the abstracts, I think I was really doing landscapes and animals. I'm not very good at drawing people. Very much I try to draw people. I'm just not very good at it. <laughs> um, so I think yeah, it was, it was definitely the sort of the abstract side of things, and and that um, just about really using my imagination. I thought that was the bit that was really appealing to me. And and do you still do any art now? Do you do any painting? Um, not to the same extent. I always keep trying to convince myself that I'm going to set myself up with like an easel and a, <laughs> an art studio and be one of those people. 
Um, but I just it's just time, I think. I, do, I really would like to do it. I, I do miss actually just the freedom, I suppose, of being able to um, sort of paint and um, do that kind of thing. Uh, and I think I probably will go back to it at some time. But it's, it has just been a timing thing more than anything over the last few years. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good outlet, isn't it? That's one of the yeah. things Eliza was saying on the last podcast is actually in info security and probably very common for most industries, actually. But it's quite good to have a creative outlet that's nothing to do with work, something, you know, some, something you can lose yourself in. Um, and, you know, I think art or music or anything that's uh, creative, I think, has a direct kind of connection in in with you know feelings of well-being and things like that so um yeah so it's um d- definitely interesting one so with regards to the other subjects that you chose um for a level uh psychology you mentioned and sociology and um, did you did you have a career in mind at that point obviously you were looking at graphic design and then obviously dropped the art did you, did you have an idea about what it was that was going to be next for you um, no, I think the psychology part, uh, well, my dad used to be in the Royal Air Force, he actually worked in psychiatry. Um, so I think there is a, a little bit of me that's always had that really, really interest on the people side. Um, and I think that's why I chose psychology as a subject. Uh, I don't really know why I chose sociology, because I thought it's really boring, actually. <laughs> I think it's more a case of making up my numbers. I think that the art definitely was it was a, as a choice, the psychology was a choice um but the sociology was just a little bit of an add-on I shouldn't say that should I I should say I was I was yeah I definitely love sociology it's really cool no I think sometimes (laughs) you've got to exactly that you've got to make up numbers sometimes the the, the third is often the 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 best of a you know a um you know a bad bad, bad bad choices sometimes but it's kind of like you have a few ologies I thought (laughs) of the advert Um, (laughs) who was that that was um Maureen Lippman, wasn't it, on the BT <laughs> advert for the ologies, going back a bit. Um, so um, talking about the people side of things, so I'm sure this will be something that we'll explore, um, you know, later on, because I'm sure this is something that will come in, you know, with regards to your your career and and, and what you do within InfoSec and things like that. So um, what was it at that time that was fascinating to you around you know, people and thought processes and the psychology of, I suppose, human beings? Uh, I think I was just, as I say, my dad, well, dad was working in psychiatry at the time we were living in Germany when I was little. Um, and he was dealing with a lot of the soldiers who were coming back from the Falklands War. Um, and I think that when we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, it was a kind of like something that was already known, but it wasn't really given a defined term as such. Um, and so sort of working in that environment and also um, you know, there was a lot of sort of hostages coming out, like Terry Wake, John McCarthy, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think I've just always been driven, I think, into to really the, as I sort of the human aspects um, from a, over later on in life in terms of um, security and, and the crisis management and how all these and how people react to major incidents. And I think that's, that's some of the things I've always been drawn to, I think. Yeah, no, that makes absolute sense. Um, yeah, fas- fascinating job that you're, and, and quite traumatic, I would imagine, as well as the job that you're done yeah, for, for yeah, a period of time at, at yeah. the time. So. Um, so, okay, we've so been to college, so you're doing your A-levels, decided university wasn't for you. So so what was next for you and what was what was the first job that you did and, and what got you into that? 
Um, yeah, so I joined um, PHH Vehicle Management, uh, which is now Arville. I think they've changed hands several times. Um, but the role that I was doing was uh, I was working with all-star cars, the fuel cards, and um, I was working in a fraud department. Um, so it was very much around looking at fraud investigations on fuel cards that had been stolen or lost, that kind of thing. And so part of my role really was to um, work with sort of law enforcement, work with customers, look at where there had been cases of fraud, um, look about how we could come up, uh, look at criminal investigations. Um, so very varied, um, if I'm honest. And it was it was it was such a cool job. I mean, I was probably like early 20s, 20 something, literally. Um, and um, it was just a really great place to work. It was just, I felt like I had lots of power, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah, that must have been fascinating, um, being kind of in the middle of all those investigations. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What, what, what was it specifically about the investigation part that you that you enjoyed that ticked your boxes? Um, I think it was the being able to unravel some of these, um, particularly when you had an actual fraud investigation. So the two that kind of sprang to mind for me was um, we had an employee uh, at a garage who had actually, you know, taken a fuel card and every time he got cash for a fuel of transaction, he would actually um, pocket the cash and run it through on the fuel card. I'm like, hang on a minute, why is this fuel card carrier being used at the same garage all the time? That's a bit suspicious. And if you've actually stolen one, you're not going to use it at the same place. You're going to use it here, there and everywhere. So we had an investigation then that was going on with the uh, owners of the garage. It was a chain. And sort of overnight, one night, we'd actually gone in. Well, not we didn't. The, the company went in and changed all the cameras so that rather than looking out on the forecourt and looking out at the shop, they actually looked, they were all pinpointed down um, to where the sort of the cashier was. So they could actually watch what happened when the people were coming in and cash. We could actually build this investigation and then the second case that springs to mind uh, was actually the company themselves who were committing fraud. So they, they had like 20,000 fuel cards um, that went out and um, they said they never got them. And lo and behold, they started to be used. Are you sure you didn't get these cards because they're starting to be used? And, you know, it's OK if you are. Like, no, 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 no. So they were trying to put us on the hook for about 30 grand worth of fuel. Um, and actually, we had to bring a specialist in, actually, because we thought this is, again, it's, you know, the cards are being used in the same area as where the company are. So if they go missing in the post or, you know, for other reason, they'd be, they'd be used elsewhere. And again, we had to get, as I say, a specialist in um, to actually watch what was going on and, and put this case together. So it's just, just really interesting. And, and again, I, I suppose it's a little bit about what makes people do things like that. You know, and coming back to the psychology again, I suppose, is a little bit of that what turns good people bad um, and what makes them do these things. And, um, and I think even the company, when they, when we realised that it was them doing it and they're just trying to diddle us out of money, <laughs> and I'm not even sure they really thought it through, if I'm honest. It was just I, was I thought they say, just thought was... a bit of, pull a bit of a fast one on it. Yeah, I was going to say it's a highly naive move, wasn't it, really, mm. to have, you know, you've got a bunch of cards coming to you that's supposed to take delivery of, and then they miraculously don't arrive, and then all of a sudden they start being used in a particular <laughs> area. You know, you think, 
probably didn't quite think that one through. But, um, no, but yeah. no. And I think as well, it was hindered way back when you never had this thing of like automatically stopping cards. It used to, do you remember when you used to get these sheets with lots of credit card numbers on? And oh, yes. you have like hundreds of lines of credit cards and fuel cards and all sorts of things. And you're expecting somebody to, you know, a cashier to sit there and literally go line by line, you know, to check the cards. And you're like, yeah, right, of course they are. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Uh, so it was just it's a double-edged sword, really. So, I mean, to protect the customer and, and that kind of thing, you end up having to, what's a fraudulent case has been um declared we then kind of hide the cost from the customer because i sort of say it's it becomes a sort of a law enforcement thing mm. um but yeah that was just like i say it's back in the days of just not being able to automatically block and stop these cars like you can today yeah absolutely good yes i can imagine that was that was absolutely fascinating and and seeing those you know how those stories unraveled i can imagine that was a lot of fun especially at that age being your first job yeah, um, it, was. Well. it was. good. Was great, was great good fun. But it didn't pay the bills, though. I must have to say, I was paid a pittance. I should have been on commission. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. They're going to pay you in fuel cards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so what was, it, what was the next move for you then, Sarah? So I'm assuming at some point you took a call and decided, actually, you know, you needed a, a job that paid you a little bit more money. What, yeah. What was next after that? Yeah, so, so next job uh, was Thames Water. Uh, and I started there working in a sort of customer services environment, um, answering letters from customers and, you know, that kind of thing and accounting queries. Um, but I had the opportunity to sort of, so what was that? So I joined in 97 uh, and 98. Um, but obviously being a really regulated, heavily regulated um, company, but probably one of the most heavily regulated of all utilities because we're talking about water quality and that kind of thing so every year they have to put this really meaty report to the um, what they call the july return um which is your uh ability to say whether you meet or don't meet a lot of the requirements and policy requirements and that kind of thing and they just needed a helping hand to pull that report together so it's like yeah i'll do that no, so I, get, I have this bad habit of volunteering for stuff, but I'm not even sure what I'm volunteering for, but it just sounded like a good thing to do. <laughs> so I worked there for maybe a couple of months or so, um, just pulling that report together and getting all the evidence and, and all of that kind of stuff. And then, and then from there, I ended up in a project team. Um, and it you know, various different projects, again, sort of doing some reporting and, and that kind of thing. And this this kind of takes me to the beginning of 1999. Mm. Um, and, and again, we need someone to we need some help to work on this new program, which was the Millennium Bug. <laughs> uh, year 2000. Um, so they sort I, remember, of, I remember it well. Yes, there was lots, yeah. lots of stuff going on that year. Lots of yeah. spending lots yeah. of money on it. Yeah. And, and I, my, my role at the time was very much focused on what needs to happen on stroke at midnight. So what testing of IT systems and that kind of things that we need to do. That's all those sort of checks and balances once they've done all their recoding and, and whatnot. But actually, I was sort of thinking about, oh, hang on a minute. Actually, we, we have a, you know, a regulatory requirement to make sure we have a 24-7 emergency call centre. We have to make sure that we can get clean running water to people. And all of these type of things that hadn't really been thought about. So, you know, if the IT systems don't work, uh, what we're going to do? How, you know, how do we contact our people, our customers? 
you know, if, if we have it, if we get water cut off, how do we get um, like water out to people who can't walk, you know, go on like kidney dialysis machines. So I really didn't kind of think, realize that what I was actually thinking about was business continuity. It actually, to me, was just common sense. And I, <laughs> and I started ask, asking like, why? Why are we doing this? Why aren't we thinking about that? And I think so. So it kind of just made me really sit up and take notice. And I probably it's the first time in a few years that I actually thought, hmm, actually, this is <laughs> this is a really interesting area, really interesting subject. But also at the same time, um, Thames Water were um, putting people through sort of management courses. I had again had the opportunity to go back to college um, for a, like a year at night school. And I, and I was really and this sort of so I was just like what was I this time sort of early mid twenties, um, all really excited about this new project. I'm going to college, you know, really enthused. And uh, and I just remember there's like being thirty or people in this college course. Um, I was probably one of two women, but also the youngest person there. And um, this guy kept trying to undermine everything I said and, and cut me down at every opportunity. And I'd never had that before. I'd never been in that environment. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I was just really lost a little bit. And this kept going on week after week and nobody would stick up for me to the point where um, he, t- <laughs> he turned around um, one day and he said, why don't you just shut up, you little girl? And I just like looking wow. at him, I'm just like, I can't believe this guy's just said this to me. And I'm looking around, wow. scanning everybody in the room, and no one said anything. And I and I remember them coming up to me afterwards and said, I can't believe he just said that to you. Oh god, I'm so disgusted. I said, Why didn't you stick up for me? Why didn't you say something? And I said, and I just felt so small. And no, I just I never and it really kind of got to me, I think, in terms of I know as I was a little bit lost, didn't really know what to do. And I kind of had that. Fu moment, I think. Mm, yes, <laughs> I was like, no, no one's going to make me feel like that again, and it mm. kind of made me feel like you know I had to stand my own ground. So not only was I kind of the youngest person, obviously being a woman as well, um, I thought, no, actually, do you know what? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to feel like that, and I'm never going to let anyone else feel that again. So it kind of got me into this. I'm going to. I want to be a subject matter expert. I'm going to put all my focus into this new area of business continuity. And that. And I really kind of say that, in essence, is where my where my career started mm. for me in terms of how that's morphed over the few, last few years. So although I kind of worked in that fraud department and I got all that experience, I always really count my career as starting at that pivotal moment. And it kind of really, it gave me my mojo back <laughs> from, yeah, you know, from, um, yeah. from the disappointment of uh, art college and really kind of, I would just sort of say, dossing about for a bit, <laughs> flitting around between jobs and, and things. So although I love being a fraud investigator, as I said, I didn't really pay the money and, and what have you. So I thought, actually, I need a career. Yeah. This so is what I, I need to do. I've got two questions for you on that. One, uh, The first one is, is not that I really want to, ask a lot about um this well this man obviously but what was it were you making points that were making a lot of sense what, what um yeah I mean, it, was a, it was a management course so there's no there's no right or wrong and mm. this this guy in particular he he was about 50 odd years old which is not bad in itself but he was his attitude was oh, i've been a manager for 20 years don't uh, you right. know how okay, to manage yeah yeah so there then in comes this sort of 20 odd year old person who hasn't had any management experience but 
it's just trying to be involved in the discussion and and you know bring bring my thoughts to the table and it was just it was just one of those people which is yeah. like oh i know best because i've been doing uh, yeah, it for yeah. 20 years and, and, <laughs> and by the way when i was saying if you were you making sense i wasn't asking you whether you're making sense but you know sometimes um when somebody's talking a lot of sense it sometimes rubs well, uh, possibly yeah i've up the wrong way and that's where i was coming from more I so, think so. Than, you know I whether he was so. justified because he clearly wasn't but i mean i'm um, quite opinionated as it is if i'm honest yeah. but yeah. <laughs> I've always got a word or two to say on a subject. So I'm not never been, a, you know, quiet, let's say. But I think everyone should be entitled to an opinion um, on whatever that opinion is. And, and he just wouldn't let me have it. He, he, his, as far as I was concerned, you, you've only, you know, I've been on this planet long, double the time you have. You, you, <laughs> until you've earned your stripes. In essence, it, was a, it felt to me like until you've earned your stripes, until you've yes. actually been there, done yeah. that, you mm-hmm. don't have any authority on the subject. Yeah. And I think that really, for me, was I need to get some authority on a subject. So, well, <laughs> so if I'm in this position again, I can go, actually, I think you'll find. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and it also speaks volumes that he was on a management course with all that. Well, the irony. I think he was forced to be there by his company. If, yeah. I don't, I'm not sure he wanted to be there. No, but... And, and do you think that pivotal moment for you that that, that, that you've mentioned, obviously, do you, do you think that would have happened anyway at some point during your career? I mean, you wanting to be a subject matter expert, do you think that's just how, what your personality trait is, is that you, you know, you want to know the ins and outs of a subject? Or do you think that was a real shift as in I never want to be in the situation ever again that somebody can call me that and I want to be able to you know hold my own or whatever it was that you know the FU moment that you had um, <laughs> what, what do you think that would have happened anyway because that's very much inside you or do you think that was just yeah a maybe I think so I think I've always felt like I'm supposed to have a purpose um you know and um I'm supposed to do more and I'm supposed to do better and, and I think for me I've always just liked learning um you know and I think so I think probably both of those combined um but but I think that was certainly the thing in my mind that's that cemented for me um as you sort of say I I need a career actually I really like this subject of business continuity it's it's really valuable in terms of what was going on at the in that sort of time of year um in in the overall market and that kind of thing I just felt it was just a really valuable thing to know and, and and for me, it was just, like I say, I, I didn't know it was business continuity. It was just common sense to me. So it was only when it was pointed out is this is actually a subject that you can learn more about. And I was like, oh, happy days. Yes. So <laughs> so I was like, oh, crack on then. So um, and I think that's for me. I just immersed myself um, into all things business continuity. And even like after the stroke of midnight, yeah, that wasn't the end of my job. It was a kind of like, you know, it was like, oh, nothing happened. Was that a waste of money? Or was that good planning? So we kind of put it said, oh, well, <laughs> let's put it down to good planning. So then it was a case of me being seconded to the um, head office. Uh, and, I put, and I carried on putting business continuity plans uh, in place for the engineering and laboratories divisions and that kind of thing. And it, and it really, I think the beauty of working in business continuity, which is I've, I've always kind of pulled through again, is that big picture. Mm. It's that big picture thing. Um, it's just seeing the intricacies of how everything works because I think people see their own little silos. They know their bit, 
but actually to understand how all, all those cogs that come together, that to me was the beauty of business continuity because it was it was not just seeing how everything works. It was understanding what's critical, what's why, what happens when everything goes wrong uh, and having to have all those plans and processes and, and tests and all those things in place. So it's, it's, it's the irony really that it just kind of, that, that thing that's been in me from day one with that big picture the, the, you know that use your imagination be creative that that kind of shone through to me is mm-hmm. I've got I finally got a way of using that creativity again um, in people yeah yeah and I have the, I know, it's an irony isn't it so I always mm-hmm. kind of think so you know does your career follow you or do you follow it it's 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 it's, it's was it as you say was it destined to happen in one way or another anyway because of where my interests lie don't know as it just kind of morphed that way, but it's yeah. uh, it's certainly as I sort of say, it, it set me on my road. Let's say for the next twenty years. God, that, I feel old now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, with you. I'm with you, Sarah. I'm with you. Let's not talk about numbers. No, um, let's not. <laughs> so, um, so you were sort of seconded then onto sort of a, a, other projects. So, so what what was next for you in those in those? Yeah, roles? I think I was always drawn to IT. Uh, so even though, as I say, I, I was putting in, I, I put in all these plans for customer services, laboratories, engineering, but it, I, you know, working on this sort of big IT program, I was still drawn to it, and, and so that kind of started my next role. Um, when it was two thousand and one, uh, I joined AXA. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the time, AXA had been going through lots of mergers and acquisitions, and they, they'd ended up with lots of different IT departments, and you know, obviously lots of different. Uh, email systems, all that kind of stuff. So they were looking to consolidate and have these sort of big transformation programs. So they actually set up their own IT company in their own right, which is Axatech. Um, and that was to serve all of the UK operating companies. So Axa Insurance, which was Guardian Royal Exchange, actually, at the time. Mm. Um, PPP Healthcare, Sun Life, so they're some of the Axa brands pulling all that together and I was working in uh, as I saw I was working from a disaster recovery perspective so for me the natural progression of learning business continuity was then to go onto the IT side and learn all about all the DR so if, I mean I, I worked there for four years but actually a few months after I started 9-11 happened yes um, and I think crises seem to follow me around, if I'm honest, as well. Um, <laughs> you could say, well, I was in the right place, the wrong place. I don't know. Um, but again, you know, fortuitously, from um, you know business continuity, DR, that kind of perspective, it really had a wake-up call um, to the way that the company was, was looking at their DR. So, I mean, I think at the time, they were still very much focused on backup tapes. It was like a it was average of 72 hours, you know, recovery from tape it's just like this is just not good enough we've, we've got to go full-on data replication um you know all of that kind of stuff so all of all of those kind of programs sort of kicked off so my I spent a lot of my time doing testing working with the um operating companies about refining their bc plans and testing their plans so I think at the time we had a contract with condisco which is actually now sunguard um and we had every single work air recovery site in the country, which was like 20 maybe. So literally that was my life day in, day out. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so over that course, I became the DR manager. Um, what was it about IT that pulled you in specifically? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I, mean, I can't really pinpoint specifically. I just think there's so many 
opportunities that IT can provide. And I know people have sometimes have a mistrust of IT, but it's not the technology that's the problem. It's, I always sort of say it's the process that's the problem. You know, it's the way we program the computer. It's not the computer's fault. <laughs> you know, if uh, that the nine uh, the um, year two thousand program taught me that. You know, and and I think it's so the use of technology and and how it's an enabler and you know just how it's you can kind of use like tech for good and all that kind of stuff. It's just I've just really been interested. I never really caught, and I never, although I was working in a sort of DR environment and then obviously going into cyber later on, which we'll, t- we'll touch on. I never, I'm not. I never class myself as a techie. I've always kind of sort of said I'm that sort of middleman, middle woman, if you like. I've, I always found like the IT people and the business people wound each other up because they spoke the, the different languages. Um, they just didn't get each other. So my, I always found I was kind of like in that interpreter role of trying to actually put everything into layman's terms so both both parties could understand what the other one was saying. And I've, I've always done that. I think I've just always been in that kind of advisory capacity again since um, about trying to make sense of everything that's going on. Just like I say, I repeat myself, like the big picture. Yeah. <laughs> now, what is it we're trying to do and why? So, and, and not just like look at it from a you know, purely technical servers and infrastructure perspective, but actually what's on the servers? What data is it? What the user's doing? And just, just trying to put a lot of it into a much bigger perspective. Um, and I know I remember talking to um, one of the guys that worked in the data center, and he had no no idea what was actually hosted in any of the servers. He just saw servers in racks. And I said, well, if I told you that was, you know, such and such system and it was really critical, would you look at it differently? And he goes, yeah, I wouldn't take my eyes off it. <laughs> but I said, you know, there's just that little bit of awareness about actually, you know, these aren't just servers. They're, they're actually performing a really, really critical role to the company and if anything happens to it then it, it, you have this kind of chain reaction um and it, you know, it just depends on the impact of that really mm, absolutely so you mentioned a couple of obviously a couple of job changes and things like that I mean how did how did the promotions and the job changes come around for you at that stage was it, you were putting yourself in line for promotions or were you sponsored or mentored within your organization um I think, I think at the early days, it was more of a natural progression. Uh, I've always um, held myself to push myself. If that, if, so I think in me, it's always how can we do better? So I don't just accept the status quo. Uh, and that's kind of just another thing uh, I think is part of my personality. So every single job I've ever had is I kind of I keep asking, questioning what we're doing and why we're doing it. And it's always like, this is the way it's always been. I just... <laughs> That doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. So, so I, I just I can't help myself. It's just <laughs> I just get, I just, it's just one of those things of you no, know, let, let's do better. How can we improve? And I, and I think those type of things uh, get picked up maybe by management. And because I'm operating at a, at a different level, different mindset, I, I can uh, then obviously put those justifications in for promotion and and, and those type of things really. And I wouldn't say I was ever. There was never no sort of sponsorship uh, per se or mentoring available to me back then. It was just, you know, do do your best, um, really apply yourself, keep learning, keep asking the questions, you know, and, and, and I think that's just something I've always done. Yeah. I think it's about being a, 
I say again, I use the word, you know, a, a thinker, you know, when you're, when you're in a job and you're thinking about how can we do this differently? How can we change this? How can we improve this? How can we not just change it for change's sake, but just how can we make this better or more streamlined? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, 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 it's not, uh, you know, the word, you used the word earlier, you know, not kind of just the status quo, but just actually how can we improve? And I think the combination of putting yourself forward then for things and, being seen to be somebody in the organisation who is actively trying to make things better um, is 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 something that I think generally, hopefully, does catch the eye of of, of the people who are in positions and to 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 you know perhaps help progress your career or put role opportunities or promotions or something like that yeah. on the yeah. table. Whether you get them or not is another thing. But I think you know it's putting yourself in a position where you can put yourself in the frame for those. I think is really important. So yeah um so we've got obviously the the roles that you're in in terms of you know the um dr management and things like that um what was the next move obviously you mentioned kind of towards a move towards cyber so we're sort of kind of moving towards that but yeah yeah so i remember you know um talking about this being like this sme type role um so i remember we had an external audit from um anston young um, and they were looking through all the plans and processes and uh, asking lots of questions and this, that and the other. And I was like, I know more than you do. <laughs> Don't try and catch me out. And I think that was actually picked up by EY because they actually asked me to come and join them. Uh, <laughs> so I joined uh, AXA, um, sorry, EY in, um, in July 2005, which happened to be the exact same day as the July bombings. Um, in London so actually at the time I was asked to join a conference in Amsterdam um, and the news kind of broke about the uh, the bombings in London mm. and we stopped the conference halfway through um, and it just put out these big tv screens so people could see what was happening and as you can imagine you know, people um, to panic mode uh, you know, with their colleagues and families and that kind of thing but because of the gravity of the incident, you know, you could not get an incoming line into the UK. So they shut all mobile lines down and all of these type of things. So it was just for me, it was, just, it was the yeah, I kind of was in that little lost moment because if I'd, if I'd still have been at AXA, I'd have been in full on crisis management mode and you know, doing all of these things. Uh, but my first day on the job at EY was very surreal. And I, I sort of all I could do really was just sort of sit there and comfort people. And and just think about you know what was going on, and but again the irony from there is it really again it kind of kick started actually you know these things are a little bit close to home. You know, nine eleven was also in the USA. It did it did bring a lot of things to the table, but this is London. This is right on our doorstep. Um, so I think from there I, I was kind of worked at EY for two years, and I did a mix of um, assurance. An advisory. So sometimes I'd work as a consultant, and sometimes I'd work as a an auditor. So that kind of again, that kind of um, added a few more things to my repertoire about you know, how to do an audit, how to be a consultant. But actually, that was my first time of being a consultant and putting all everything I I learned um, at that point. So being in a sort of a business environment, working in an IT environment, um, and then actually providing consulting services to customers and getting them to again to rethink their planning, their strategies, um, you know, evolving their crisis management, that kind of thing. Um, and then, I, and then from there, 
uh, I joined Fujitsu. So I actually, so when was it? Oh, I think I have to think back the years um, to 2007, I joined Fujitsu uh, in their cybersecurity division. Um, and again, it was, it was again, sort of taken all of their experience from business continuity, DR, crisis management, auditing, uh, consulting, <laughs> uh, bringing that all together at Fujitsu. Um, so although I was working in the cybersecurity division, I, I would always sort of say I, I worked on the business side of cyber. So I kind of really, again, it was that kind of challenge on what are we trying to protect and why from a cyber perspective. And I always sort of say I come in at the start and at the end, if you like. So I, don't, I kind of sort of say is, you know, trying to put things into perspective. Again, as I sort of saying is, what is critical, what happens if something goes wrong, um, you know, and then at the opposite end, what happens if there's a data breach, what happens if there's some kind of compromise? So while we've got a cyber incident response, what's the business doing? So I was very much engaged with lots of different customers, again, around the public and private sector, about just, again, again, it was just expanding the story, making it bigger and wider than just pure cybersecurity and how all these things interplay with each other. Um, and then 2016 GDPR made its appearance. <laughs> um, so that so that again was just like, well, how does GDPR kind of fit into this whole cybersecurity story? And it was very much well, it's not just about cyber; it's much more than that. It's actually about people. It's <laughs> so it's, it's the irony, isn't it? It's it's, it's always it, it kind of it goes full circle and sort of saying yeah. really, even when we're talking about cyber incidents and we sort of talk about. You know, oh, there's a X millions of records that are being compromised or, you know, identity stolen. And I, and I was always trying to sort of say you need to really look at it from the individual's perspective. And what does this mean in reality to those individuals and the impact and that kind of thing? So it's very easy. Like, you know, we talk about data protection, it's just they call it like you know, data subjects. So that's just a bland term. They're people. That's first and foremost, they're people. So everything that we do, no matter, you know, uh, whether it's a crisis, whether it's a cybersecurity incident, whatever type of incident, people come first always. And that is ingrained yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I, and I think you're right. I think with regards to GDPR, I mean, I know so many CISOs who obviously when in the planning phase, you know, the business came to them and said, oh, hi, right, um, can you come in and run the project? And and they were saying, no, because IT is one part of this. This is not about, it's not an IT project. It's a company project around data, around people. You know, it's, I think there was sort of a view in a lot of businesses, I think at the time, that this is a, cybersecurity yeah. project and you know and you know the heads of security or some of the CISOs that we were chatting to was saying we're gonna have to we're having to go back to the business and say I absolutely need to be involved in this but this isn't my project to run um you know other stakeholders in the business who deal with data in lots of different ways have to be involved in this and I think it was a uh, a real wake-up call I think for a lot of businesses in, in in that respect so I mean what what was it about cyber that pulled you in particularly Sarah was it was it just a natural progression obviously with all of the things that you you know all of the experience that you'd had in the other roles was it just somewhere that you think that you were always going to be led or was there a you know what, think, what was it specifically that kind of pulled you in the direction of cybersecurity? I think I think it was a, a natural progression I think as you said it was just adding I mean, all of the things we've been talking about are um, subjects which are kind of intertwined with each other. And I, I think 
uh, when I was a you know Fujitsu, I, I used to do a lot of thought leadership. I was actually a PR spokesperson, um, and, and a lot of the things that I would talk about. So actually, you know, sometimes it would be a rapid response. You know, we'd have to, so if you just had a cyber attack had just broken in the news, and journalists would ring up and say, "Right, we need a, a an opinion from Fujitsu." So, so, so you have to react really, really quickly. And I would always try and frame it. You know, I'd never sit there and try and blame anybody, never blame the company. You don't know what's going on or how these things have happened, but where's the opportunity? How can we, you know, it's that kind of like, how do we do better? How do we learn from this? You know, all of that kind of stuff. And then sometimes I'd do a byline and then sometimes it would be like a full feature. Um, but to me, it was always about, you know, as I sort of say, it's always coming back to that. Where's the opportunity? What could... Even through all that times I've been involved in crisis management, it was always it was always thinking about what what do we learn and and I think part of the thought leadership was we need to break down the silos so we can't just look at as we were sort of saying you can't just look at cyber on its own without how that interplays with the wider business um, and even like you no know, physical security was the poor relation to cyber for quite a number of years um, so I said actually all of these things combined you know you have to look at it. Uh, holistically from a resilience perspective so that kind of then sort of morphed itself into a much broader wider discussion and, and as we've put, we've seen in the in like recent years particularly from like um some of the regulators they've almost kind of changed tact and said you know, i don't actually care what type of incident you've had i don't care if a cyber attack someone's cut through your network cables <laughs> whatever whatever it is you have to keep your services operational so you have to manage your risk. You have to know what's going on. You have to have a plan. You have to test it. So I think cyber is, um, no, I, I think cyber is such a broad area, but I think it's just, you know, it's part of a, a much bigger subject, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, again, that kind of just drew me in, I think. Uh, and I, I think um, it's just it's just one of those things that's just continued to evolve um over over the course of my uh, over about 12 years and into sort of where I am today really and uh, so you were at Fujitsu for quite a few years weren't you how, I mean how did your career progress during your time at Fujitsu um yeah so I started off as a, as a principal consultant so as I sort of say it was sort of like drawing on from that consultancy experience from being at um, EY um, so while I was there, that kind of practice what you preach thing kind of came up and it, it was I had the opportunity to go sideways a little bit and actually work within our own governance, risk and compliance area. Um, so they had a new standard that had come in um, for business continuity because uh, ISO 22301. Um, and it started appearing in lots of tenders. Uh, you know, how do you comply to this and how are you certified? We're like, no. <laughs> so actually, you know, we, for us to be a differentiator in you know a lot of these bids and processes, uh, we actually need to invest in you know, our own in our own company to get these sort of certification. So I actually did a full bottom up, um, full blown transformation program um, and redid the entire business continuity, capability, governance, uh, everything across the whole company. And I think at the end of 2015, um, Fujitsu, I think, were the first, if not only, IT service providers to have this certification for their entire company. So it was all data centers, all service desks, this, this new security operations center, networks, blah, 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 every single account, HR, all of these things combined. And it was a kind of a bit of a, wow, you know, actually, say, we can do it, we can help you to do it. And that, I think that became the differentiator. 
And the following year, I was actually promoted. <laughs> so it's, it was that kind of that, again, you know, proving yourself, proving that capability. Um, and, and that really gave me that credibility that I've been looking for in terms of, I know I've done this. I've, I've actually won the T-shirt. I know exactly how to do it because I've done it for my own company. can't give you a better reference than that. Um, <laughs> and actually, it was then actually, um, you know, customers, we can actually help you evolve, not just your cyber, not just your BC, not just your DR, the entirety of your resilient strategy. And that's how that all came about, really. So those promotions, I had two promotions at um, while I was at um, Fujitsu. So, so um, as I say, I ended my time as head of continuity and resilience within the cybersecurity division. Um, very much have a center of excellence and a you know real a team that focused in on those areas that I just spoke about, um, and that's kind of like how that came about. I, I, I did have some sponsorship and guidance uh, at my time at Fujitsu. Um, the other thing I, I volunteered for while I was there, can't as I say, I can't help myself um, to be part of the Women's Business Network. Um, so that was all about uh, how, how do we get more women into tech, into cyber. Um, that was a role I had for three years. So I, I think a lot of these things have just kind of morphed together. And I, I think being in that role really helped my visibility across the company and across that sort of wider management. People just started to know who I am, um, not just for the fact of what I do as a day job, but actually much, much wider. And also that visibility external as well with just some of the things that we were doing to promote diversity and inclusion. Definitely. Because, I mean, you've mentioned volunteering quite a bit, you know, yeah. throughout your um, career and obviously pu- pushing yourself forwards. And, you know, so it's 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 been a really common theme. And, it, you know, putting your, you know, taking the leap, you know, t- taking the leap, going forward into putting yourself in the frame for something that perhaps you don't feel quite comfortable for and things like that. It's a common themes that I'm, I'm hearing time and again, time and time again, with people that I'm interviewing. So, has to have been really critical part of your success is it, do you do you feel that um yeah i th- i think it's embedded in me to keep pushing myself forward um to keep learning to do better and to really sort of go outside of my comfort zone um because actually every time i volunteer i never had the experience of what they were asking me to volunteer for i just thought actually this is just as a good opportunity you don't, you don't quite know where it's going to lead but I just thought actually it's a good opportunity to, for me to learn something different because you don't know until you actually put yourself there, start learning some of these things, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. I think most of the things I've volunteered for have actually been good. They've, they've been actually a really good choice for me to have done those things. I think it's the element of wanting always to learn, I think, is a real big part of that for me because I always get really frustrated when I I come across people who sometimes you get the sense that they feel that they don't have anything more to learn and they know everything they do in their role and I think I'm always learning I'm learning every day or I'm trying to learn and trying to you know improve what I'm doing or trying to be you know trying to push myself exactly the same so I always get really frustrated when I come across people who almost push back on that because it's natural for me you know, and it is for you, I think, by the sense that, you know, to, to always be, I'm always curious. I'm always yeah. going to learn. I always want to push myself. Um, if you got to a bit where, you know, you things are going okay, I want to I want to do better. Um, 
so yeah i think that's a real 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 key element of, of, of being who you are and and critical to to success i think obviously so um so talk about being out of your comfort zone that <laughs> your new role um uh now i know um you have just joined microsoft during lockdown that's yeah. quite challenging um and you talked earlier on about various global or big crises that have hit you know over, over the decades and obviously right in the middle of, of this global pandemic you know you're, you're joining a, a a huge um global powerhouse so how's that been for you and how is the role going for you so far and and tell us a bit about the role because if I'm really honest Sarah when I heard that you this was the job that you had I was just like wow that sounds like I was really jealous (laughs) that sounds like an amazing job so so tell us first of all you know how's it been during lockdown how's it going so far and 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 a little bit about what your your role is there yeah well um, covering as I said, crisis is following me around. <laughs> so literally, I think after UK got into lockdown, I started uh, my role. Um, so I actually have my entire career at Microsoft has been in lockdown, working from the comfort of my office at home. I haven't actually stepped foot, foot into a Microsoft office apart from my interview and um, haven't set foot with a customer or anything like that. So it's been a real steep learning curve because normally, obviously, I'd have had the value of, of have proper inductions and going to meet people and, and all of that kind of thing. So actually, I've had to do every single meeting on Teams, which has been good, it's just, which I, I don't actually have an issue at all on and just showing my face on Teams anymore. I just mm-hmm. I'm so used to it. I thought every yeah. audio conference is, hello, ta-da. Uh, <laughs> Um, but it's great. I mean, they, they've had to adjust. Uh, I, and I think just, just seeing how Microsoft work, how they've reacted to COVID is just phenomenal, if I'm honest. I mean, if you think, if you sort of said, you think about the powerhouse of Microsoft and all of the different services that they provide to multiple customers, you know, real uh, sort of critical, massive companies. So I think, you know, not only have to they keep themselves up and running, they have to keep all their existing customers up and running. But with COVID, there is a massive acceleration for digital. Um, so a lot of companies that had already been thinking about moving to the cloud or what they needed to do, you know, suddenly their hand was forced. So not only are they trying to rush to get to cloud, uh, you know, they've got huge numbers of people who are suddenly having to work from home. They've got lots of um, security concerns. You know, all of those things combined has probably meant the last few months like, have been probably the busiest Microsoft has ever been. <laughs> uh, um, you know, there's no rest for the wicked. So it's it's kind of like they're in lockdown the same as everybody else. They're going through the same the same issues but actually just the way they've mobilized and the way that they've put customer first you know that kind of like the the whole ethos the whole culture the whole they're set up has just been amazing and to kind of be witness to that and trying to like learn and everything else at the same time it's, it's just a brilliant I have to sort of say it's really opened my eyes up just to kind of some of the stuff that goes in on the, in the background um, but just, just to, to, to answer your question, what's my job? Uh, <laughs> um, so actually, it, it's kind of bringing a lot of those things, like I said, um, to the table. So my job uh, really is principally to I liaise with uh, strategic customers, so mainly UK financial services, uh, but I also go across Europe. 
um, so strategic customers in Sweden, Norway, those type of things. Uh, liaising at that kind of C-suite level, um, so CISOs, but CIOs, you know, data protection officers, um, senior business leaders, and it's it's really to try and get to grips about what's going on in their business. So we're not just talking cybersecurity. We're not just talking products. We're not just talking about that type of thing. We're really trying to get deeper into um, building those customer relationships, those challenges. As I said, you know, a lot of companies have, have found COVID a real challenge. They've gone from, let's say, a real lockdown environment to suddenly everybody trying to log on simultaneously at home. They've, they haven't got the right devices. They've had to enable bring your own device. There's, there's all these different nuances coming together. And my role really is, is really to help customers through these challenges. How do they adopt to digital? Um, and how do they, how do I kind of, how do we envisage all of that side of kind of cybersecurity, compliance, risk coming together? Um, so, so, so it's, it's actually, you know, if I think about my career, it's almost kind of brought myself to this point, um, uh, with all of those experiences together. And my job is actually to have be the business side of cyber. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, we've got amazing technical people, you know, we've got lots of cloud security architects or technical specialists people who can go really deep with where they need to go to in terms of helping customers in very specific areas. But this is just taking that step backwards. And it's, 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 it's again, it's that big picture. That, that, that's in an essence, in a nutshell, what it is. Um, but also tied into that is, is that kind of, is that thought leadership? You know, what well, what can we learn? What do we need to change? Uh, what, what What's going to happen going forward? Um, and it's and it's all about that big journey. But I, and I, the thing that I love is the fact that I've just got that ability, you know, to kind of go across sectors, across all of these different areas, and and all get all of those lessons learned, bring them all to the table, and go right. Okay, so how can how can we as Microsoft help you, Mister Customer? Yeah, yeah. Gosh, no, it's an amazing role, and like you say, all the kind of routes that you've taken over the years has kind of, you know, led you to this point with with the experience that you've got, which is um, which is amazing. Um, talking about obviously new job roles and things like that, I'm fascinated. Did you ever go for a job role that you didn't get, Sarah? And if so, how did you handle it? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Probably too many to count. I mean, yeah, as you sort of said, it's it's. Um, you know, you, you go through jobs and, you know, you th- some some of them you think they're in the bag. And then um, I, I've been in a situation where I've kind of been down to the last two and it's ended up going to the internal person. And that that's more disappointing than actually going to somebody else external um, because it's almost so, sort of feels like you're just there to prove the point, you know, to prove that you've gone external. So even it doesn't really matter, how, you know, whether you tick all the boxes and have all the capabilities. You know, if it comes down to the fact that you've gone internal, that's a that's a real pain point actually to to know that. Because I think if you've gone equally up against other candidates, you never. Sometimes you don't always get the feedback as to why. Mm. Um, you know, you're kind of less wondering to some respect. Um, but I always find that a little bit of a kick in the teeth when it's the internal candidate, <laughs> if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think the, um, I, but it, it's, it's always just, again, it's that kind of how can you improve, how can you do better, I think. 
Um, do you bounce back from that quite quickly? So do you bounce back? Are you, or does it take you a little while to regroup before you move forward? No, no, I, I do. I, it's that initial disappointment and grumpiness, and, and I need some prosecco. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, but I'll be like, you know, I'll, I'll sulk for a little bit, and then I'll be fine. I'm fine again. But so I've, but I'm always going to keep pushing myself forward. I never have just stopped and said, oh, what's the point? You know, what's mm. the point? Or from that disappointment of having interviews, and I always sort of think, well, maybe it wasn't meant to be. And I actually, you know, as you sort of said, is, you know, where I am right now is in, is, is the perfect role for me uh, and what I'm doing and my aspirations. And I'm really glad that you've talked about, you know, the jobs that, that, that you know, obviously they've been jobs that you haven't got, not that we're going to go into detail on that, but actually because some people, when you're looking on the outside at some people's careers, you don't imagine that they have had those things or they have had failures and, We've talked a little bit with a couple of the other people who've been on the podcast about, you know, fear of failure and not pushing yourself forward for something because you're afraid that you don't quite have what it takes or that it might not happen or you might not get it. And that's the thing, you know, fear often holds people back more so than anything else. And actually, the thing is about it is is that if you get, you know, what's the worst thing that's possibly going to happen where you're not going to get it? And then, okay, there's a massive disappointment, but actually you know, you regroup, hopefully, and you, you move on. And, and quite often, actually, I found the case, and you, you just mentioned it, case in point here, um, quite often the thing that something better usually comes along, actually, that you think, yeah. actually, gosh, I'm quite pleased I didn't get that other thing, actually, because, <laughs> because this is a lot better and it's a lot better. Yeah, it? so, it's, it's funny, um, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's just that, um, you know, just interested in how people deal with, fail it or talking about it because I think we we tend to talk a lot about what has gone right and not not about how how we deal with I think so and I, and I think it's uh, to your point I think it's really you've got to be kind of open and and kind of you know it's as you say people look in from outside and go oh well it's plain sailing you know aren't, aren't you lucky that kind of thing but it's not it's it's actually really hard work it's hard work determination um and you sort of say you know it, it's it's from that desire to keep pushing forward to keep you know as we were sort of saying it's learning more do more keep improving keep doing all these things because if you just if you just rest on your laurels and think someone somewhere's you know going to see how wonderful you are and give you a job that's not the way it works no no exactly so if you could give your sort of teenage self or your 18 year old <laughs> self or how old were you when you first started at phs PHH I would have been yeah 18 19 18. straight from college yeah so if you could give your 18 year old self any advice um based on what you know now what what would it have been um I would have, I would have said the same thing it's just sort of like just you know keep pushing yourself forward when the opportunities arrive I know for these sort of um, voluntary things just do it yeah. because you never know where it's going to lead and actually, I think if I hadn't pushed myself forward, my career pr- probably would have been completely different. I don't know what it, what it would have been. And I might have gone full circle and come back around anyway at some point. But I just think, you know, even even it's funny, actually, I think to myself, if I'd have met that guy that I talked about, you know, the one who told me I was a little girl, I probably would have shook his hand by now. If I, if I met him again, I don't know what he looks like, I can't remember. But if I met him again, you know, people sort of said to me, hey, could, would you punch him in the face? <laughs> I was like, no, I'd shake his hand and I'd say thank you. Because it, if it wasn't for you being the way you were um, and pushing me to actually act and think differently, 
you know, I wouldn't be where I am today. So thank you, actually. <laughs> that was going to be my next question, actually, if I was going to say, if I take you back to the evening that that happened at that management course. And, you know, that must have been, you know, must have been, must have been tough going home that evening and feeling the way you did. No one had said anything. People came up to you afterwards, which is often the case, unfortunately. Um, I was going to say, you know, what, what would have been your advice you know to to you that that evening but but you, I think you've already answered that brilliant and obviously with the perspective of time but um um you know that actually this was going to be a a, a pivotal moment which actually you dug deep at that point I think you know we we sometimes we're confronted with with with, with these horrendous situations sometimes and some people you know you, the the fight or flight thing comes in and I think yeah. you definitely went to fight didn't you you know you dug oh, deep yeah. and thought right this is never happening again and actually you know and there you go and you're in the position now where you'd um want to shake his hand although I think a lot of people want to punch him in the face oh I probably do both <laughs> shake his hand and then punch him in the face yeah <laughs> take him off guard like he's me <laughs> absolutely um well Sarah that has been so fascinating hearing your story it's been brilliant and I'm I say I'm I'm so jealous about the role that you're in now it sounds like a a since the CEO of a cyber security company well I do have job envy I do occasionally it comes up and I go oh that sounds so good um but no I am you know it sounds like an amazing opportunity and you've started obviously under really challenging circumstances but you know hopefully it will um this will you know you'll continue to 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 thrive and move forward and enjoy it actually first and foremost you know first and foremost oh yeah yeah 100 percent brilliant so we're going to wrap up as usual with our rapid response questions so hopefully you're ready um to rattle through these uh, so this is just to find out a little bit more about you as a person. So the first question, as always, is tell me about the most memorable concert you've ever been to. Uh, I would probably say Red Hot Chili Peppers at Wembley. But the most funniest experience was I was on top of the Pops when I was 15. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> yeah. brilliant. Oh, my God. I love that. Who was on? Who was on? Who was on uh, oh, let me think. So we had Mariah Carey. Um, David Bowie, um, oh, Vic Reeves and the Wonder Stuff. Um, <laughs> oh, and, and Two Unlimited. Yeah, so one of my, my best friends at the time, she was actually ended up dancing on the stage with Time of Two Unlimited. And I remember uh, we recorded all of this. It was our claim to fame. And I um, recorded over it with Brookside, the shame. I couldn't believe it. No. Like, no yeah. this, well, I'm going to have to try and see if we can uncover that footage. I know. Um, sorry, no. from somewhere. But um, brilliant. What a lineup! Mariah Carey, David Bowie, uh, Vic uh, Reeves. I had, I had, yeah. yeah, I had the Vic Reeves um, Dizzy and, uh, single on yeah, um, yeah. cassette, I think, probably. I don't know. Um, and um, too unlimited. Gosh, no, that does take me back. That's brilliant. <laughs> I've never I've never spoken to anyone who's been on a top of pops before. So I know that was, that was my claim. That was my claim to fame. Yeah, that was yeah. that was that was a really good experience. Yeah, and I'm actually I'm just watching how many people mine. Oh so, yes, yeah. and people like, oh, oh Mariah Carey, she's so pretty. Well, I was going to say, although Two, two Unlimited didn't really have m- many lyrics to, to remember, that I remember <laughs> no, no, anyway. No, so, but, no, but, around a lot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Um, so question two, um, what is the biggest challenge facing InfoSec today, in your opinion? Oh, probably what happens next after COVID-19. As a, but I have to say, I just make, need to make a point. People who say the new normal really wind me up. So oh, yes. <laughs> just got to get that out there. 
So it's so yes, what happens next? You know, the, the amount of digital transformation, what does this all mean for security, different ways of working, it, there's so much. Uh, and I'd probably add in the whole AI debate into that as well and the ethics, that side of things. So much stuff, but so much stuff, exciting uh, things ahead as well. That's what yes. I love about working in technology and in InfoSec. As ever, yes, po- posing challenges as and opportunities, I think. Yeah, um, the opportunities are just, are, are, you know, are, are huge. Um, but you have to do it right. You have to do it the right way. That That's key, I think. That's where I come in. Yeah, good. Okay. Um, question three. What has been your all-time favourite box set binge? Breaking Bad. Do you know what? I think I must be the only person on in the on the whole planet who hasn't seen it yet. <laughs> Literally, oh, I, I, I haven't met anyone else who's not seen it yet. I was going to say, the next day, um, and then the next one, I had to do a, a quick catch up of Game of Thrones. I think I was late to the party, so I, I think I binge watched about four seasons in one go, just so I could catch up. And I haven't seen any Game of Thrones either. <gasps> what? So I know. What's on it if you I don't know where I've been. I don't know what I've been doing with my time, quite frankly, to be honest. But, um, but, I, but no, either of those. So um, Breaking Bad is definitely on my watch list. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've finally recommend. Yeah, so good. Right. Okay, both of those, making a note. Um, I'm just secretly using this podcast to get recommendations for boxes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, um, what is... Um, oh, sorry, question four. Right. Who is your InfoSec Shiro or hero? Mm. I I think Jane Franklin. Um, so I've known Jane for about four years. Actually, I met her when I was at Fujitsu when she was just writing her book um, and I invited her in. And actually, Fujitsu ended up being gold sponsors for her book as I really believed in everything she was doing. And I kind of about all that promoting women and all the work that she does. And she's always there. She's always promoting. She never gives up. You know, she always puts herself out there. Uh, I think so. Um, yeah, we've just become friends, and I, and I think she she does so much for the industry, not just for women, but for cyber security in general. Well, yeah, wonderful choice. I know that the work that she's doing, particularly around the charter, around um, unfortunately having to give guidance around how to and how not to behave. Oh, yeah, um, like I mean, it's a shame, oh, really, that yeah, you yeah. have to have these discussions. Exactly. But, um, I know that um, she was um, speaking. She came to speak at LHS um, at the beginning of the year around that, and I think you know absolutely support support that and um, the initiatives that she's involved in. That's yeah. So good choice. Wonderful. Um, what is your ultimate comfort food when you've had a particularly bad day, Sarah? What what what's on the menu, or what are you what are you reaching for? Crisps, 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 <laughs> and prosecco in in large quantities. What flavour crisps? Salt vinegar. I could just eat them so that I literally don't have an off button. I mean, I I know people like chocolate, but after a while, if I've had about four or five bars on the bounce, I start to feel sick. If if you just kept filling up the bowl with crisps, I'd just literally sit there. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I've ever had an off button for crisps. No, I think I would as well. Crisps are um, my Achilles heel as well. That I love. <laughs> what brand would you have if you could have any salt vinegar? Oh, oh. I, I'm, I'm Walkers. I think have always been my yeah yeah. 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 I, I think they're um, yeah. I, I'd probably mm, yeah. I might even go monster munch and frazzles in my day, but <laughs> but I think well, yeah, I would actually I would say walkers, yeah, they're my they're my favourite. 
No, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Some of the posh ones are a bit too, they're just not quite the same others. No. <laughs> anyway, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you on the walk of salt and vinegar, definitely. Good. Um, and final question, um, Sarah, is how would people describe you in one word, do you think? Um, determined. Let's go with that. Determined. Love that. What a perfect way to end the podcast. <laughs> so um, determined, Sarah, thank you ever so much for taking the time oh, to talk to me on the thank social you. today. It's been really inspiring for me um, hearing about your story and your career and how things have progressed. And also I wanted to say thank you because I know you're often on LinkedIn and how actually we got in touch in the first place because you'd uh, put a post out, I think, about um, feeling... Uh, a bit or getting a bit of imposter syndrome about um, public speaking and I think I dropped your line because some of what you said resonated with 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 me and I you know I know you're often commenting and saying you know being quite open actually about how you feel um, sometimes and I think sharing those feelings and experiences is really really critical because we wander through life thinking that everybody else has absolutely got it down to a T and, and that no no one could possibly ever feel like we do. So um so thank you for being so open and for sharing your your story with uh, with us oh, today. You. And um you know and 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 for all the work that you're doing um and supporting other people. I know you're a massive champion of other people in the industry as well. So um so thank you very much for everything you do uh, for the cybersecurity industry. So thanks very much for coming on. It's been oh, great. thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. <laughs>